Welcome to the world of Rex. I am Marvel A. Rex, and this is my world. It is also your world. In this podcast, we will discuss any and every topic imaginable, from socioeconomic political theory and philosophy to gender clowning to the occult sciences, y'all. It's going to be a wild ride. Strap in. Marvel A Rex. Well, I am a true Renaissance person. I do a little bit of everything. I am an artist, first and foremost, an actor, a writer, director, producer, philosopher, and yes, a cult practitioner. I am an astrologer of over 15 years. I am a student of the I Ching, and I am experimenting with my human design. And on that note, I deeply hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the world of Rex. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the world of Rex. This is Marvel A. Rex. We are looking at the energies for the week of June 13th to June 19th. It is basically the cusp of summer here in the Northern Hemisphere right now, from which I am speaking, and I am feeling the heat. I'm sitting recording this in a rather hot closet at the moment. Yes, make all the closet jokes you want. Okay, this week, what do we got going on? Well, it's quite a philosophical, spiritual, and inspired week. We have a full moon on Tuesday. So that's the big thing I'm going to be talking about because it will affect the energies of the whole week. And it's got a lot to do with water. We're going to talk about water in a moment. So I want you right now to think about, as we begin this week, it's Monday for everyone listening. If you're listening later in the week, well, these energies are really present, but they culminate on Tuesday. So if you're listening on Monday, you're a little bit ahead of the game. But really, all week, we are going to be experiencing a full moon energy. Now, what are full moons all about? Well, they are about releases, culminations, finalizing moments, endings, and of course, in any ending, there is the seed of a new beginning. This is a full moon sitting in the sign or the constellation of Sagittarius. Now, the interesting thing about this full moon on Tuesday the 14th is that it harkens back to a time in late 2021. So the interesting thing, what I love about a lot of these practices is that it's all really cyclical. And I said this at the first episode that cycles are really interesting to me. Because they actually help us understand that life isn't just a big ball of chaos, although that can be fun too. There are these hints in the past that lead to future events, and you can start to see correlations, or, you know, some people argue that you create correlations. Either way, I find it all very interesting. Now, this full moon harkens back to a new moon in the same same constellation of Sagittarius back on December 5th and 6th of 2021. I would love each and every one of you to take a moment right now, pause the podcast and think, what was going on for me the first week of December? Maybe even the last week of November, but definitely the first week of December all the way until about the 14th of December. Now, this was actually the final eclipse for the Gemini Sagittarius eclipse cycle that began in May of 2020 
and ended that December 5th and 6th of 2021. So that was the end of a culminating cycle. Now this full moon harkens back to that time. So it's really interesting for you this week to be thinking about what was going on for me in early December of 2021. Is is there some sort of resonant moment happening this week? Is there some sort of culmination? There certainly is in my life. I'm having a very obvious culmination where I was on a film set in early December and no joke, this week, I'm at the premiere of that exact movie that I was making in the first week of December 5th, 6th. So astrology can be extremely literal. This was happening in my house of work. <laughs> so for all of you who think it's not real, well, here we go. So think back to what you were doing late November, early December, and there's some sort of resolution presenting itself at this time, some sort of ending that has the seed of a new beginning, but really feels more of like an ending time, a culmination. This can be a pat on the back situation. It can also be like a full-blown letting go, you know. Now, for those of you who look back and go, oh, that, that thing that was happening is not resolved yet. Like, great, Marvel, but this week doesn't feel like there's any resolution time. Well, there will be be a process this week where things could be feeling like they're moving towards resolution, they may not be fully resolved. But if they also feel totally chaotic, or that situation in late November, early December doesn't feel resolved, this is a great time. I have some medicine for this, if your life feels chaotic in this area. Focus on having a beginner's mind and learning more about whatever the situation is, releasing judgmental or fixed ideas about the situation. For a lot of us, Late November of 2021 and early December of 2021 were challenging times where it was eclipse. It was the last eclipse cycle, eclipse season as we know, apart from the one that just happened right now in April and May, which was a doozy for most of us and definitely on the world stage was a total doozy. Eclipse cycles are moments of like compounded intensity. So last November and December, it was an eclipse cycle. So it is actually very important to think about what was going on in your life. And if it's not resolved by this full moon this week, which again, it doesn't have to be, there's no judgment on my side, but if it isn't resolved, this is a good week to sit with it and open your mind around it. Think about it in a different way. We're going to talk, be talking a lot about words today on the podcast, choice of words, what we say, how what we say has a psychic, even like spell casting quality to it and how water can show this. Okay, so before we get into all of that, I'm just teasing you right now. Before we get into all of that, the full moon happens on Tuesday. It is square Neptune, the planet of illusion and fogginess, also spirituality. When I talk to my clients about Neptune, I always call Neptune the, the final outpost of God. What does that mean? It's like, you want to imagine Neptune's all the way out there, far away from the Earth. He's hanging out kind of near Pluto, kind of near Eris, but he's like not even really a planet. He's a ball of gas. And I'm using the he, him pronouns because that's the, the ancient connotation, right? A god, the god of the ocean, Poseidon. Now, Neptune is not a straightforward guy. I think of the final outpost of God is basically like, you want to imagine this ball of gas that's sort of in between realms. That's why I say it's the final outpost of God. It's like... <laughs> You're close to the other world. You're close to the other side. You're close to something that isn't material. It's like metaphysical. It's divine, even. 
Now, that's like a really beautiful way to think about Neptune, but the more challenging side is the siren-like quality of Neptune, which is the illusory, the like mirage in the desert. You think you found water, and you didn't. Now, Neptune is associated with many things, including drugs, altered states of consciousness, uh, cult-like behavior, um, having abstract approaches to things that sometimes are illogical in a way that can be harmful. So these are all things to be thinking about because Neptune is going to be super funky activated this week. He's coming in and he's like, oh yeah, you thought you knew what it was? You don't. Or here's divine inspiration and you figured it out, but don't act on it quite yet. This is my advice for the week. Because Neptune is so active in this full moon on Tuesday and really will be active for the whole week, my, my question for you is... Are you certain? Are you certain about the thing that you feel certain about on Tuesday? Because on Tuesday, something might present itself Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, even. Even the entire week. You might have a moment where you're like, I know what this is. This is the ending of something, or this is the decision. This is it. Because Neptune's active, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to stop, pause, and ask yourself the question, am I sure? And if there's even one little itty-bitty part of you that isn't sure... In that pause, like that pause is really powerful. Just slow down, pause. And if there's one little itty bit of part of you that's like, I don't know if I've got that all figured out yet. Like maybe I'm, maybe I'm rushing this process because I'm uncomfortable. If there is any little bit of that, just take a moment this week to not make a series of actions based off of a conviction. Sagittarius as a constellation, the the symbolic interpretations of Sagittarius is that it is the archer, which shoots a fiery arrow into the sky in one direction. So Sagittarians are known for like literally being the arrow that is convicted and moving at a finite and directional space, right? It's like, this is where I'm going. It can be associated with authoritarianism for that very reason, because the Sagittarian, which is a great teacher, they make excellent teachers, but they can be like, this is the only way to do it. And I'm right. It's one of the few signs that an uh, Aquarius is the other one that's like, I know, and I'm right. And this is the way it is. Now that isn't always the case. And when Neptune's present, which he is during this full moon, this can be a very convicted arrow that has like poison attached to it that isn't really shooting in the right direction. So I want everyone to just have an extra amount of caution this week in terms of your convictions, in terms of other people coming to you and saying, this is it. I figured it out. This is what's going on. This is, this is the, the clear picture of what's happening. Just be like, well, are, am I sure? Are they sure? Let's take some time to find out. Things will feel a lot more clear by the new moon in Cancer, which is going to be later in the month, two weeks from this full moon. So asking yourself if you're clear, slowing down, you know, this is an excellent week to transform ideas that you have, creative ideas, Sagittarius is so creative, into artistic or spontaneous projects, adventures, and travel. All those things are great. Those things are great. You know, go feel close to God by taking a trip or doing something spontaneous. You know, again, my one caveat, my balanced perspective is like, just be really extra careful because the Neptune influence can also make this a little bit of an accident-prone time. So it's like, yes, go and try something new. Just be careful while you're doing it. It's my little caveat there. It's my, my inner Jewish dad who's like nervous for you. Okay, so this is definitely a week where people are going to 
well, you know, every week people are using consciousness-altering substances, but definitely when you have a full moon with Neptune there, he's like the Mad Hatter putting LSD in everybody's drinks. So people are going to be wanting to feel close to God, and often the, like, unconscious manifestation of that is, like, just willy-nilly drug use or uh, consciousness-altering substance use. Now, that's I'm not saying yes or no to that. I'm just saying that if you are doing that, be super careful with dosage. Be careful with your body. Okay? Accident-prone week. Just be really present, slow, and err on the side of caution. Anytime Neptune's involved, I always tell people, err on the side of caution. Because he is in between worlds, you have an amazing opportunity to tap into something that is divine, that is metaphysical, that is inspired, but you can go all the way down the rabbit hole. And I, you know, I'm kind of a more balanced guy here. And I, I, you know, the rabbit hole's fun, but, you know, you can get lost in the rabbit hole. So just exercising a little bit of structure, restraint during this full moon is definitely erring on the safe side of things, given the energies that are present. This full moon, like, at its simplest, and I really like simplicity, that's why I'm like, don't go down the rabbit hole, like, life is complicated enough as it is, or be mindful when you're going down the rabbit hole, be very intentional if you're going to go down the rabbit hole. This full moon, at its simplest, is about releasing limiting beliefs about how you perceive the world. Now, I'm going to give a sign-by-sign mantra for this full moon, so really, you know, stay tuned for that, please listen to that and listen to your rising sign slash your sun sign for the most, you know, uh, pointed or accurate mantra. But overall, this is about releasing limiting beliefs. Sagittarius has convictions, and they're really not always right. So each and every one of us, regardless of whether you're a Sag or not, needs to loosen our mind this week. Think about something from a different route. Suspend disbelief. Like, open your mind. This energy can open your eyes and help you feel closer to God by feeling more at peace with the fact that you may not know. That sometimes uncertainty is actually like, you can let it, you can surrender to it. You can be like, oh, well, I don't think I have all the answers this week. <laughs> Neptune's acting up. I don't think I have all the answers. And, be, and you can find peace in that, that you don't have to figure it out this week. This is not really a week to like, it's not a concrete week. When I look at this week and I'm like, full moon, Sag, Neptune's present. This is like a time to feel inspired, feel creative, try something new, be spontaneous. It's not really like, oh yeah, I'm going to build the goddamn castle and I'm going to like change the world this week. It's like, no, not really. This is not build the castle, change the world week. This is more like, am I thinking about things and believing in things? that are not serving me? That's a great question for this week. Like, do I have thought patterns, belief patterns that are limiting me or blinding me in some kind of a way? So a little bit of self-introspection here in terms of how you are thinking and how you are believing and jumping to conclusions will be really, it'll be really juicy work this week. This is the week. This is the work for the week, okay? So I want to talk a little bit about water. There is a Japanese researcher and healer named Dr. Masuro Emoto. He conducted experiments on water molecules. A lot of people know about this. So he did this amazing work that I think was in like a documentary. It's probably been in several documentaries. The experiments he did with water showed that like human thoughts and intentions physically altered the molecular structure of water. Specifically, water crystals were altered 
simply through conscious intention. Okay, so water was put in bottles and it was labeled with positive messages. And those positive messages like love, there was like love and gratitude. Thank you was one of them. Harmony was another one, right? So he labeled these water bottles. He then studied the structure under a microscope of the water crystals, right? The uplifting, positive, and encouraging words created these like beautiful, balanced, and symmetrical crystals. Like you have to look these up. You just can type in Dr. Masuro Emoto water crystals. The images on Google Images are amazing. You're like looking at these gorgeous, like just like like snowflake like beauties. And you're like, wow, water is so pretty. But then he labeled other water bottles with destructive, hateful, and evil words. Like, literally, he labeled one evil. He later labeled the other water bottle, you fool. Like, you're a fool. He labeled another water bottle, you disgust me. Right? <laughs> now, these water crystals, it had the opposite effect on them. It literally broke down the structure of them. So you have like these snowflake-like crystalline beauties for the words thank you, love, and gratitude, and harmony. And then when he wrote evil or you fool, you disgust me, it broke down the structure. And I'm looking at these right now as I speak to y'all, and it's like, it's actually just like, it, I'm shooketh. Like I have some like goose, goose pimples because evil looks like oil being spilled on the ground, like dark oil, like just like percolating. And it's like the color is this... Uh, goldish like purpley uh, black that is like really looks like it looks like the eye of Sauron for all the Lord of the Rings fans like kind of creepy and then the you fool just looks like a blasted star and you disgust me looks like molten gold lava which like is kind of cool as someone who likes materials so much but also you can just see the like literal chaos that is applied to these words now I'm not trying to say good or bad I'm just saying that words, and this is something that Sagittarius rules, which is why I'm bringing it up. Sagittarius and Gemini sit on an axis with each other, and they both rule words and the power of words and how words are spells. And I had a Gemini say to me, words are spells, and that's why they call it spelling. Yeah, a double Gemini said that to me, who has a Sag moon. So there you go. That's why they call it spelling. So in that vein, I want you to have the intention this week where, you know, it's great to be conscious of the words you're using, how you speak, what you say, and even more importantly, what you say internally to yourself. This is like the big work this week. What are you saying to yourself? What are the words that run through your head all day long? If there are words that you're saying where you're saying to yourself, I'm a fool or I'm stupid or whatever, those phrases are like the blasted water molecules. They bring things into chaos, which affects our body, which is like literally like 80% water. We are little water sacks. So I'm going to give each and every one of you what I call the Marvel A-Rex tune-up mantra for this full moon. Okay, If we're going to use words as spells, here are some spells for each sign. Now, if you know your rising sign, please listen to that one first and foremost. If you know your sun sign, that's great. Just do that. So I'm going to read through these. I'm going to start with, yes, first, always first, to the race, Aries. And I will end with Pisces. Please listen through to each of these. They're great. They're nice to hear. Coming out of my voice. Lovely. Let's do it. Okay. The tune-ups. 
Aries. I am the other. I expand into all things foreign from me. Taurus. I allow myself to receive from others because I am a gift to others. Gemini. I am reflected in all of my close relationships, and that is a miracle. Cancer. I am in a body I love, a temple of healing, and I slow down to feel this miracle. Leo. I am here now to have fun, let loose, and honor my inner child. Virgo. I am my roots, I am my ancestors, and I love how they connect me to my future. Libra. I am a spellcaster through my words, and my voice is here to heal me. Scorpio. This is a long one. Scorpios need it this year. I am here because of my profound gifts, and my worth is for me to cultivate, like a brilliant treasure at the bottom of the ocean. The journey down to the depths is a miracle. Sagittarius, this is your full moon. Your phrase is, I am here now, and the stories I have to tell are gifts to everyone. Capricorn, I am here to rest, relax, and honor the miracle of silence. Aquarius, I am a citizen of the world, a friend to all, and my community heals me. Pisces, I am a leader with a mission to love through the creative work that I commit to. Okay, everybody, those were the tune-ups. Please feel free to go back and re-listen to them. Write them down in your journal. They are a nice little uh, water molecule crystalline re-centering for the week for this full moon. I'm about to have Ms. Neon as a guest. I'm elated to have her. She is a speaking of someone who uses words as like a powerful mechanism as sound talismans. She is definitely a sorcerer of words and has her Mars and Venus conjunct in Gemini, which is part of this beautiful axis between Gemini and Sagittarius. So she knows the power of words. We're about to have her on. Just remember this week, big resolutions, mind your words, mind your speech, mind your internal dialogue, and stay safe out there. Okay, folks, we are here with Ms. Neon. And Ms. Neon is a genre-bending musician, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, producer, multimedia artist, using performance and lyrics to express her sexuality as a trans woman and defy misconceptions about herself and anyone who identifies outside of the binary spectrum, both gender-wise and ideologically. A lyrical provocateur, Neon confronts issues of identity, sexuality, politics, spirituality, and lived experiences as a trans femme fatale. She is a triple threat of sharp wit, hypnotic sensuality, and musical virtuosity. Neon commands an elegantly tough yet unapologetic ownership of her visceral vulnerability on and off the stage to local and international audiences alike. Welcome, Neon. What an intro. How are you doing, girl? I'm blushing. I'm <laughs> happy to be here. Yes. I'm so happy to have you. You know, I have been interviewing so many different kinds of folks, and I have had a few music- musicians on, but I have to say, 
you know, having you here as someone who's not, you just like approach your music with the same vigor and fervor that you approach your spirituality and your identity. And I think that you and I, and I actually know that you and I are edgelords in so many ways, quote unquote, <laughs> in terms of the places that we, we do land. So I want to, I just feel like I'm in good company. I'm like, oh, great. Someone who's not afraid to question outside of what we've even in the queer community has been told is acceptable. So with all that, I would love to hear first and foremost, a little bit about your story, how you've landed here in Los Angeles. We live in the same city in 2022, late capitalist apocalyptia. How did you get here? What's important for the folks to know about who you are in your journey, spiritually, identity, identity wise, history, et cetera. Wow. Um... I guess to like sum it up, I, I came to Los Angeles for a number of reasons. Um, prior to that, I was a New Yorker for about 15 years. Um, I was born and raised in the Boston area, Massachusetts. And um, yeah, I'm an East Coast girl. And I grew up, I'm a little bit um, older than I may look, but I grew up in a world that didn't teach me about trans people. And that wasn't, you know, I didn't know how to cultivate that side of my identity, which um, I, you know, made the best of and really found myself, uh, I was always a visual artist as a kid. And really when I found like rock stars, when I was like a teenager, I was like, wow, that's what I want to be because like, that's where I can express myself and express my gender and sort of be able to like exist as this like creation of self, of self really without um, having to, um, I don't know, it just felt like a lot less, a lot less uh, boxed in uh, being a performer. And I felt like I was getting respect and I felt really like a whole as a person expressing myself in that way. So I really um, just gravitated towards doing music and then I moved to New York um, as a young twink, figuring things out at the tail end of the Electroplash era. Yes. Um, did some stuff around there, did the club kid thing, was just running around a lot of different scenes. I was in um, the house of field proudly and navigated a lot of different, swam in a lot of waters uh, from the punk rock world to the house and ballroom culture and fashion world and all these things. And just, um, again, was really figuring out my identity and a large part of me moving to New York was not knowing it at the time, but I was, figuring out that I was trans and coming to know people like Amanda Lepore and Flawless Sabrina and meeting people like Zachary and just having a amazing community of trans people helped me when I was ready to transition, cut to 2016. Um, and at that point, I had been wanting to move to LA for a long time and there was just a lot of great opportunities coming my way over here. and. I always say I kind of had like Stockholm syndrome living in New York because I had a rent controlled apartment, but I really was just ready to embrace all the change. And um, yeah, there's an element of, of this like really serene chaos here that I, that I really thrive in. And I, I feel like I can um, really lean into like having more space and privacy, but also like there's a pace here that's not as crazy as New York, but it's still like, I'm, I'm a driven East Coast bitch, so I like really like to be active and I can do that here. I, I feel really seen and supported and I'm really lucky for the community 
like you, like you meeting you through Zachary and, and Celeste and all of our mutual friends. I, I just feel like there's such a strong community of artists, people pushing boundaries and um, people are really open to collaborate and co-create and that's why I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> yes. I love the phrase serene chaos. I think that actually like very efficiently describes Los Angeles. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the woods proper, like as a kid. And then going to New York was sort of like getting the opposite real chaos fix. And then as I was transitioning, I was like, okay, I need something in the middle. I need to kind of like level out. And this is like a little bit of both. And um, it's like, it's like a post-apocalyptic movie set and it's just really surrealistic. And um, I, I love it. And I love the smog. It's, it's like, about, it's, like a, you know, it's like Vaseline on the lens. Like everything's, you know, technicolor and just. You get those flares. Yeah. You get that special yeah. sun, sp those special sunsets that are full of smog. Yeah. It is absurdist. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Embracing. Yeah, and I, I, I think the city itself, because you said it's like a movie set, there's something so trans about Los Angeles as a city, because it's like I, gender, right. to, it, it, the whole thing to me, the whole city, this is, we're getting into a wormhole here, but I love it. It, the whole city feels very Barbie doll Ken to me, which to me is almost a farce on gender anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very that. Yeah, totally. It definitely is more femme conducive. I mean, I can wear heels and open toe shoes year round and, <laughs> you know, uh, like I don't have like winter clothes and I don't know. It just feels like another dimension. Yeah. So going a little bit to your childhood for a moment, just because I think you and I both have Catholic school in common. Is this correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, like more of a mountain time zone, West Coast Catholic school experience in Salt Lake City, Utah, but you have like Boston Catholic school experience. I'm just so curious. I mean, we're going to, I'm going to lead into our like chaos magic witchiness in a moment, but I, I do want to take a moment to ask you questions about, you know, what was it like, you know, being assigned male at birth and having to navigate Catholic school. And when did you really start to understand your spirituality? Was it young? Were you just like, yeah, what was your relationship to that sort of cauldron that you were in, in the first couple of years of life? Wow, I mean, I guess my like transness experience is really emblematic of most people's where like, I didn't understand why I wasn't a girl, you know, when I was like four or five. Um, and at that time, there was no, there was no support. And there was just like, okay, you know, that was, I feel part of the reason why I ended up in Catholic school is to sort of force me into a uniform and straighten me out because I was always not, I was really gender non-conforming as a kid as much as I could get away with. And um, I hated that aspect of it more than anything. I always had a um, intrinsic sense of expressing myself through the way that I dress. Like it's, I mean, if you saw pictures of me at like four years old, like I, my style is like not that different. Like I was just loving, sort of the chaos of mixing different things and just having my own look. And um, that was really stifling for me, but I always had my art. I was always really good at art. And so um, that was something that like I, my, my parents have always been very supportive. They didn't understand the trans thing when I was younger. They are very supportive now, but they always really helped cultivate me artistically. And that I think saved 
me um, a lot of undue like stress in those situations, but Catholic school was not the tea for me, but it, it like, I don't know. It was like, I, I appreciate the adversity I faced, especially being from Boston. It made me wicked fucking tough. And, you know, um, yes. I'm and I like love, I, I love how just seeing how far things have come and having a sort of connection to a lineage that's much older than me in that mm. regard and being connected to the young kids now. And I don't know if that answered your question, but Catholic school definitely um, did the opposite of what they hoped it would do. That's for fucking short. Sorry. Can I swear on that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Go for I'm it. Girl. To, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I definitely like by the end of it, I was like in my like figuring things out goth phase and mm -hmm. um, they weren't having it. And um good riddance so you know i got i got expelled i got expelled for carrying around a lunchbox full of mutilated dolls with the stigmata that i made on a field trip with nail polish yes i love this story and i i actually want to say a one quick thing about catholic school that i think we both agree on is like it's actually so like goth culture I mean, Catholicism in and of itself is very like vampiric, like eating the body, drinking the blood. Mm. It's yeah. very cannibalistic. Even like a lot of Gothic architecture, you think of churches and these like gloomy places, but then the light shines through the stained glass. Like to me, it's all very queer Gothic. The priests right. not being able to marry, like it's all very queer Gothic to me. So I feel like they inspired us more than anything. I mean, yeah, thankfully, I guess at least Catholicism has an aesthetic, you know, that's like heretical to a lot of other Christian faiths. So, yes. yes. I, I think it's, I really, I, I mean, I'm sort of segueing, but I think it's like really ironic the way that the church, you know, demonizes the trans and just like outsider community and like infers that we are so uh, deviant and takes like the worst examples of things that like never actually really happen and uses it against us. Meanwhile, their fucking institution is full of pedophiles and 100%. people and they take absolutely no, um, you know, I just think it's, it's you like do, do as thou wilt, but like, it's not a political, it's, I don't believe in like, the religion and political influence that's that's happening in our world i think it's like yes a little late you could say the same thing about the republican party they're like trans people are grooming people i'm like i don't think that that's us i think that's republicans like, um yeah <laughs> lots of people um not us but I think we hold the mirror up to a lot of their yes. own yes and and I, another question to get closer to your spirituality. Like, I'm very interested in, you know, do you have early moments in your childhood going to Catholic school? I mean, I had moments where I was like, I was very nihilistic when I was in Catholic school because I was like, these people are crazy. This is nuts. And it's very sexist. It felt, I remember hearing the story of Adam and Eve and just being like, this is the most sexist thing. I can't even handle this. I like almost had a panic. I did have a panic attack as like an 11 year old. But I want to hear like, do you have any moments in time where you were like, feeling something that was that was the formation of your spiritual identity now because i know that you're a very powerful i want to use the word like sorcerer but chaos magician and spiritual person like i know that spirituality factors hugely into your life so do you have any early memories of that or the genesis of that yeah sure yeah um i mean since i was like super i mean as long as i can remember i've always had an interest in the dark arts is, I mean, my 
exposure to that as a kid was probably in film and television. And I was always interested in like supernatural horror and like, I don't know, especially things dealing with like demons and possession and like psychic stuff and, um, you know, um, like UFOs and things like that too. I think they're all very related. And um, I really tried to embrace the like religious like thing I, I remember for like, like in like first or second grade, I was just like, let me just try to do this. And it, it just didn't land. I didn't feel welcome and I didn't feel like it was me. And I know, I know what was the real catalyst for me starting to like find the occult book section of like the local bookstore. I read Carrie by Stephen King in fifth grade and still one of the most amazing books I've ever read. I highly suggest it. It's music, the movie's very cute, but the book is amazing. And that re really got into a lot of stuff around like the occult and psychic stuff. And then I started reading books about witchcraft and occult and all this sort of like, for that level of my development, like rudimentary stuff. And then um, I remember I like self-initiated myself as a witch when my mom went out to like the grocery store and she like came back early to find me in like the middle of a pentagram in the driveway. And she was so mad, but like- um, Oh my God. It, Amazing. It didn't stop there. I mean, I soon after discovered Anton LaVey and Satanism and then as, as a philosophy that was very decidedly atheistic, but that kept me, it, that really helped me get through a lot of like adversity, honestly. Um, the like sort of philosophical um, side of, of like the satanic Bible. I remember reading that and being like, okay, I can, I can do this. Like I have to just love myself and like do the best I can. And um, I think in my more nihilistic twenties in New York, in the club scene, I, I kind of lost touch with some of my spirituality and um, really got back to myself when I got back to that. And it's always an evolving process. Um, but certainly um, over the pandemic has been like a much even like way deeper uh, thing for me in realizing that I have a lot of trauma. Again, being from Boston and all that stuff, New Yorker, it's like, oh yeah, I'm not trauma, I'm fine. I'm not a victim. I don't have that victim mentality. I'm not traumatized, whatever. And then I went through like a lot of stuff over the pandemic and uh, survive, um, I have like survivor's guilt from two of my exes dying really brutally this past year and um, rekindling my relationship with uh, the occult and a lot of different facets in a much, much, much deeper level than I had ever before. Um, helped me really deal with a lot of like psychological blocks and trauma and other things. So it's always an evolving process, I suppose, but it's it's always been there and I was always like, trying to like develop psychic powers and cast spells and do all sorts of shit since I was like fucking 12. Basically like knowing that I was kind of going down that path. Yeah, and I, I, I think a point to sort of depart from the Satanic Bible and Anton LaVey, I think a lot about Aleister Crowley too, who I know has very mixed reception for most people. But I think about like a, a, a more close to my heart person who's a involved with that or the legacy of that, which is Genesis Brayer Porridge. And I think about transness and chaos magic specifically because so much about, you said do it without will. And it's like, do it without will is the whole of the law. So this idea from that sort of brand of Crowley magic is like, you're, you can create yourself and therefore in creating yourself, you're also accountable to the self you are creating. 
-hmm. and that should be the law. And I love how that speaks so much to transness, which I also think about my friend Jenea Khan, who's like the thing that's so like traumatizing to conservatives about trans people is not that we're trans, it's that we're saying, I'm going to be myself and I'm going to build my own identity and create my own adventure in life and how anti-capitalist that is like at its root. So I just think about all those things I think about you and that makes sense to me that you would be like drawn to chaos magic the same way that I'm drawn to it. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's all about creating our existences. And um, I remember when I first saw Amanda Lepore and just was like, I didn't even understand if that was a real person or that I didn't get that what a trans person, I just was just like, oh my God, like this is playing God. This is really saying like, okay, no, I'm gonna do this. Like I'm, I'm actually a working, like a walking piece of art. And that's something I really liked about her was she took it a step further into this sort of, it was less about realness and more about surrealness, which I love. Oh, and uh, it's just like creating. I mean, I, I, we can't, you know, I think we're a threat to them because we're not, we, you can't control us. And yeah. we, at least for, for myself, you know, I choose my path, but I don't, um, I don't prescribe that for anyone else. They, everyone can you know, do as they will and find their own thing. And um, I think having a sense of like who you are as a person is, uh, makes you a better, uh, better equipped to be a good person for others, you know, giving from a full cup, you know, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's like, um, there's a, there's a lot of selfishness in virtuosity because at the end of the day, a lot of the Christian dogma pretty much tells you to do good because you'll get a reward in the end. Yeah. And I think it's like doing a good deed and then showing it off. It's like, what's the point? You know, I think if you want to do good, do good, but don't do it because you feel like you have to. Yeah. And I feel like the more we're honoring ourselves as individuals, the more we're actually just like our cup overfloweth and we're able to be kind as just a byproduct of being honest with ourselves and being true to ourselves. Very basic stuff here, but yeah. yeah. And I'll, wait, I'll just add one one quick point. It's like, I, um, I, I, I think that um, I have a lot of obviously like beef with like the church, especially in its like political uh, infrastructure in our country. I think that's really like the root of all evil. However, I have no beef with people that seek that for their own, you know, I totally respect everyone's right to, to experience religion in um, every way that they can. And um, our identities being, um, really important to like furthering the progress of of humanity and just like respecting each other's paths yes yes and on that note of identity I'm, I'm so curious I mean I obviously like I'm in a relationship with a woman of trans experience or a trans woman I am like just as a as a trans person myself as someone who's like a gender terrorist like being with another gender terrorist is amazing um and unparalleled but I'm so curious about your experience and how you or how you understand yourself maybe anything from your journey that has helped you land at the point you are now I know that it's an ever-evolving understanding but I guess I'm leading this all up to say that like I find the existence of trans women to be so not only just the most natural thing because we've always been here but also so important right now in terms of 
healing the wounds that have been so obvious to me in regards to both masculinity and femininity when they're in polarized like silos. And so I'm just curious about how you understand yourself moving through the world, what like magic you're here to offer and, and yeah, how do you conceptualize yourself? I know that's a super broad question, but I'm curious. No, that's really relevant because honestly transitioning um, has been largely really a spiritual process for me. And it's very, it's obviously very individual for everyone, but um, you know, like I was saying, like I I, uh, appreciate having the resistance that I had. It really forced me to like really double down and be myself. And um, um, I, not sure, like I, I could say that I never really, necessarily felt trapped in the wrong body although I I could say that I did at the same time um I know that this was like my journey and I was like supposed to or whatever like I I'm experiencing the spectrum of of gender in in this body as a spiritual experience and this has always been a, a transformation for me that's like really spiritual and I I relate to the baphomet you know I think that there's people have lost sight with the spiritual significance of trans people throughout antiquity and all over the world as um, spiritual leaders and people that, you know, I think the magic that I offer in its most simplistic sense, I think that like most trans people offer the world is empathy and going through as much as we have on various levels I think we we get to experience humanity in so many different ways and this process has led me to have a lot more empathy for men than I used to have too and um I I just think that like we are here for a reason and we are spiritual people and um I, I really like don't like to speak for the community as a whole but I do think that that we do symbolize that and intersex and trans and um, gender non-specific, you know, uh, deities have graced every world religion since the dawn of time. And I I think that people have kind of forgotten that. And, you know, it's not that we're so like high and mighty, but we have something to offer that's like a really unique perspective spiritually. And it's not like prescriptive for me. I don't prescribe my like set of beliefs insofar as just being like supportive as much as I can to people growing in their own way. I don't know if that like answers your question, but it's definitely a spiritual process for me and becoming like my higher self. Yeah. Um, And yeah. It's so interesting. I want to, I have a follow-up question for you about being like perceived as male in the punk scene, which I do want to ask you, but before we get there, I just want to let folks know Baphomet, Baphomet, is a Gnostic and Templar reference, or I mean, it has a lot of different references, but it goes all the way back to the 1100s. And it's a symbol of balance in various occult and mystical traditions, specifically the Gnostics and Templars. It is supposed to be about the equilibrium of opposites. So half human, half animal, male and female, good and evil in one body. So I love this. And it's it's got a sort of goat goat reference in it um and a slightly satanic reference here as well but i love that that is you know an archetype that you are dancing with and understanding and resonating with for sure oh yeah and i've read your astrology chart you know you and i've we've done a reading together and your mars and venus which are aphrodite 
and uh and mars right right this is the the male the masculine and the feminine mm-hmm. are in gemini together which is the twins you mean you have your mars and venus are conjunct right. they're in the right. same sign they're literally your lover like your masculine and feminine are identical but they're twins which is very interesting so you're almost like yeah, that's a that's such a, a placement for you, but it makes sense to me that you would relate to Baphomet as some as an energy that is both male and female in one body, right? Yeah. Aligned, aligned with that. So I'm super curious to to I want to talk a little bit about the punk scene and and you navigating New York and the punk and club scene, just in terms of like, did you feel like you were doing male drag? Like how what, what was your experience as like because Zachary describes you as like a really hot like Twinkie Punk when she met you. She was like, had such a crush on you because she was like, what a hottie. Like but same. like, yeah, I'm, see, right? Um, so I'm just curious about like, what, how, how was the punk scene for you in regards to like gender and reception and like, what was that period of time like for you? Um, I mean, I never really felt like I belonged anywhere, to be honest. Like I was always an outsider in every scene I was in, with the exception of the House of Fields, when I w- discovered Pat Fields and the whole like culture around, around that, I felt like that was really my scene if I was ever gonna have a scene just because of the diversity of people within that. Can you tell and us were- a little bit more about the House of Fields really quick, just like yeah. a descriptor? Yeah. So um, I, I presume your audience is somewhat familiar with like the houses and the ballroom culture. So the House of Fields was one of the uh, early ho- earlier houses um, and they were a downtown house founded by Patricia Fields, um, who went on to um, be most known for her styling of Sex in the City and Devil Wears Prada and a whole bunch of other things. But she had a store in the East Village for 50 years, starting in the late 60s. That was a cultural hub for a lot of like outsider types and specifically queer and trans people and um, I, I think a lot of people don't really realize or like put the pieces together, but like Pat was a huge advocate of the trans community and she was one of the only people giving trans people like jobs that wow. like weren't, you know, you like had to be a sex worker and that was all you could do at that time. Um, and it still hasn't, you know, there's, that's still, I mean, for better or worse, the situation, but like, that was my experience meeting like my the first trans woman I met um, from House of Extravaganza. And then I was working retail with Amanda Lepore and like it was, that was my exposure. But the punk rock scene has always been um, like, uh, you know, in late nineties and early two thousands, it was like a really conservative time in like the punk world. And um, it, it was, I always like sort of had this nostalgic feeling for like the 77 kind of era of like Vivian Westwood and Adam Ant and like the UK stuff that was like really like super high style, really ex- like experimental, very queer, figuring things out, super edgelordy, all the things. And like no one had the same look and everyone was really unique. And then I think it got really homogenized through a lot of, you know, things over the years and it became kind of a boys club. Um, so I like hung out with a lot of like the mod scene in Boston and they were kind of like similar to me in that like there was like the they called them like the post mods and they were just like very cultured it was pre-hipster and they were just like very queer friendly and inclusive and so that was like sort of my world in Boston moving to New York 
I was always like the lone kind of queer androgynous kid that was, I was influenced by like glam rock and goth and like all these different things. And I just was like, I never, like people would kind of like think I was a poser because I wouldn't put on like a uniform of like one specific cup sub. And I was just like, that's fucked, that's poser. That's like LARPing. Like, I just think like, when you're like literally wearing a uniform, like it's it's cosplay, like it's just not like for me. So I always stuck my guns and then there was certain people that got me mostly from like the old school, like Kemba Fowler and Lydia Lunge and Nick Zed and like all these like fucking weirdos. Icons. And then some of the more of the people like my age were kind of like they tolerated me, but they didn't really get it. Now things have really evolved so much. I mean, people were generally like cool to me, but I like really had to like plant my fucking like I just had to just, you know, show up and do my thing and like demand respect. And, you know, um, but I think that's an important like communication style that I developed um, and just a survival skill in general is like showing people that I deserve respect and that like I'm not like the like stereotype of what maybe you think like trans or queer or whatever people are and um I think I'm a lot more relatable and accessible than I might like seem to someone that like wants to have an opinion about like punks or trans people. Well, I love it too, because I think of, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about Kembra and I'm also thinking about like Ron Athey. I'm thinking about people who, you know, you and I love and, and adore who optically, when you see them out in public, you know, Ron is tattooed heavily from head to toe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was sharing with me his experiences going through Heathrow Airport and he gets pulled aside every time. And he always says he's a musician, so they don't search all of his shit because he can't say right. he's a performance artist. Uh, he also taught me that. He was like, Marvel, when because they've pulled me aside too in the, at, at Heathrow to search me. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the way I look. Or maybe I have tattoos, whatever. But he's like, never say you're a performance artist. Always really? say, always, he says, always say you're a musician. They won't search your shit performance artists is some sort of flag i don't know if they think we're i don't know what they deduce from that but something he was like never do it but sorry i'm digressing i'm already jumping around yeah that's really interesting ron you know optically when you see ron people are like oh my god he must be like a tough as nails like scary dude and one thing i feel from you so much and from him is that both of you are some of the most down-to-earth people i've ever met and right. I know that if someone saw you on the street who is more of a normie, they would be like, whoa, what's her deal? And it's like, <laughs> I feel like since you've literally like walked through the, sh- the the valley of the shadow of death, like so many times, you and Ron and Kembra and all these amazing iconic people, Flawless Sabrina, it creates such a groundedness and like rounded out energy to your personality where you're just like, yeah, I'm down to just like hang out and chill and get to know who you are. I've always felt this from you. So I'm just reflecting Thank that. Thank you. And likewise, yeah. I think collectively we've learned to like suspend judgment because we're always being judged. So, you know, we know what certain, we know what that feels like. And I, I personally like, um, it breaks my heart more than anything. And I don't want to get too into this, but like there's, we're part of like a magnitude of so many marginalized communities. And I think the least productive thing is when some, what some marginalized communities against another and like, now more than ever we need to all come together and I think that like we have so much strength through the fact that we've been through so much and I I always try to extend that as much as I I can while always you know having boundaries and being aware of my energy and personal space but um 
I don't know. I feel like, yeah, we've had to survive and that definitely have literally survived it's like some things that, you know, I might not have um, violent things and trauma and all these other things. And um, I don't know, I, I just want to extend love and empathy. It's the least I can do. And yeah, I think we just do that. Yeah. Naturally. Yes, absolutely. I completely relate to that. And I also feel like once you've survived this many times and, you know, you and I are, so I just feel so blessed to be sitting here across from you and being like, you and I both get to be ourselves every day. Like we can wake up and like be ourselves. We've definitely had to make a lot of compromises because that's life. Life is a series of them, mm-hmm. but we're here right now. And the fact that we've made it through this many moments of, you know, near death, whether that's ego or physical, it's like you get called to be a leader. And I think about you and now we're, I want to segue to your music because this is the important thing, but I think about you being on tour this last year, going through these small towns throughout the US and having young queer, trans, non-binary kids seeing you and how when I was, you know, growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, the closest I got to that was like Lily Allen, who's not necessarily even queer, you know, but I had, I had a really pivotal moment with her as a 15 year old being like, or even Tegan and Sarah, I saw Tegan and Sarah when I was like 15 and just feeling like that was the closest I was going to get. And that still wasn't a person that quite reflected my journey, but was close. And so I'm just, you know, I want to talk about your music. I want to talk about the work you're doing. You were just on tour. Do you want to talk a little bit about that in regards to the activism side of that, but also the music? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I mean, I I was just on tour for uh, five weeks with Poppy, uh, who's this really, really cool, like, I don't even know how to describe her, we're similar in the sense that we're both like very genre, I call myself a genre nihilist at this point, but she's kind of like a postmodern pop star that like does this whole like conceptual new metal, like MK ultra kawaii thing. It's like really just nuts. Like look her Sexy, sexy. Poppy's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. Very kind of chaos magic. So I was like, uh, when I discovered her, I was like, wow, this is, this is wild. Like I want to, I want to tour with her someday, you know? And it happened. And, um, seeing what she was doing was really indicative of like the, the, the cultural tides of pop music really changing and becoming a lot more avant-garde. And uh, I've um, seeing that and, and coming into my, my own incarnation as Miss Neon and rapping and like doing something like totally new musically, uh, I just got a sense that like the world was really opening up in terms of like outsider type of like musicians of the trans world being able to like infiltrate and all these other things. Anyways, um, I went on tour with Poppy. I was so grateful for the experience. It was really, really so, so validating for me as um, someone who's older and has been doing this for a really long time and always like having to like chew away the existential thread of like, you're aging out of this or like, this, that, the like stupid shit that like, I don't believe, but like the industry is super misogynistic. And um, I'm really blessed for that opportunity and for a lot of opportunities and, and amazing things that are happening right now. And it really uh, was validating that I just stayed the course. And that's the advice I would give anyone, just stay the course. But back to the tour and all the trans youth, that was probably the most emotionally fulfilling part of it for me because I was simultaneously feeling like I'm finally being seen on a, on like a much bigger scale that I've just been working so hard for 
and also that I'm giving visibility to these kids that like don't you know there's there's obviously a lot more trans representation in the world than there ever was but I'm definitely operating a unique like niche that is not safe and um I mean I remember my first concert was garbage and I was enamored by people like Shirley Manson and and Courtney Love and Wendy O. Williams and Lydia Lunch and all these types of women that are, that are very archetypal in a way that you that I I've like rationalized later they like represent something trans to me because there's a very masculine energy to a lot of these like archetypal women um, while also being hyper feminine and I have often said there's like you know, being hyper feminine is inherently masculine in a way. Yes. So, I oh, didn't I have that. specifically like trans people that like really inspired me until like I found Amanda Lepore or something. And so like it, to hear kids coming up to me after the shows and saying like, I feel so seen, I'm trans, like you, what you're doing like makes me feel like I can do it too. And that was literally like one of many pieces of advice that Flawless Sabrina gave me was do it so that some kid somewhere out there that you'll never meet sees you and feels they can do it too. Yes. You know, and the icing on the cake is getting to meet them and also meeting like parents and even just seeing like parents and trans kids, like going to concerts and seeing like crazy, like, you know, edge Lord ass fucking crazy shit and like getting the real message of it. Like I had parents telling me like, I love your message for my kid. It's really helped it's really helping them and feel empowered. And they like would tell me, I got one or two comments from like parents explicitly saying like, I understand what your lyrics are about. Cause they're very at face value, very like sexual and very explicit, but it's about empowerment. It's about like taking that power back. And I'm not just a fucking fuck toy. I'm not like a secret girl, you know? And I would try to say something every night on the microphone about like, you know, that I have one song called Let's Fuck Till the End of Time. And it's probably like my most explicitly sexual song, but the content of that is about kind of like saving myself for someone that deserves me and like that I want real love and not just to be objectified. And, and when I would perform that song, sometimes I would just say something to all the trans girls out there specifically, like, don't let guys, like, don't let, don't like fuck with the trade. Don't let men feel like your only function is as a secret sex object. Like you deserve love. We all deserve love. And, you know, I just felt like, like you said, activism, I feel like it was just second nature to me to like, not, not, not overdo it with injecting like positive messages, but I would try to like say something just saying like, thank you for giving me this platform. I'm like, I've outlived my age expect, you know, the age expect expectancy of trans women is 35, you know? And I'm like, I'll come out as 38, you know, right now on your podcast. And uh, I'm proud to be that age. Yes. To be alive and to have this opportunity and, and to be of any like partaking of moving the needle, you know? Um, and I don't represent the community. I represent myself, but I, it's good to represent the diversity of our community, like yes. specifically. Ooh, that was so well said at the end right there. Ooh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, you know, it is a platform. So as you know, although you are, you are singing and I think, you know, I always think of music as like literally spiritual talismans. They're just sound mm. talismans, right? 
and and like you said, some of your I I mean I know one of your songs really well, which is Pussy Stick, and I absolutely adore Pussy Stick as a song, um, for so many reasons because you're queering genitalia in it, you're really like throwing it out there, and also as you said earlier, alluded to, yes, the lyrics can be overtly sexual, and yet there's hidden meanings underneath, and there's deeper meanings beyond just the sexual, and not even that the sexual isn't deep. It's like the sexual is really deep. And there's so much to it. It's not just banal Mm -hmm. and how that can be about self-empowerment, about trans folks being in their bodies. And another thing that I just want to like, I don't know if I want to congratulate you on or just say like I'm in awe of is your bravery in terms of not being a quote unquote palatable trans person right now at a time where we are, when we are on platforms, we're expected to be heroes, not anti-heroes like simple and easy to digest, not complicated, not edgelords. And I love that you're just like, I'm on fucking tour and I'm going to be my goddamn self. And I don't need to subscribe to anyone else's rule book. And I still, I'm going to sit after the show and talk to these parents and these kids and be like, I love you because I love myself. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like I operate a really unique space where it's like, I'm definitely not pandering to anything that like maybe I'm supposed to but at the same time I do think that's like what makes me accessible to some types of specifically demographics that like want find our whole community like super confusing and like um I mean it's just so politically loaded and um I personally don't like the transness is viewed with a political lens you know I think we exist on all spectrums of that and politics aside like we're not we're not a product of like a political agenda at all, you know? Um, And um, I think that there's like a lot of people that I've like changed or like, you know, influenced their thinking on like what trans people are about just by the fact that like, I'm not um, coming at it from a place of like, I don't believe in shaming people for not understanding things. I think that there's a really big like distinction between someone who's actively being like transphobic and someone who like lacks the understanding. And I think that yes. there's just a lot of people that lack understanding and coming from like a Catholic upbringing and experiencing being shamed literally my entire life. And it's not, it's not yet ever going to end probably on some mm-hmm. level. I'm very sensitive to that vibration of, of shame. And I don't think that that is productive to like try to think that that will like change anyone's mind at yeah. all. Yeah. And um, um, with the sexuality and all that stuff, it's, it's, it's really just like um, also, yes, there's a lot of like double entendres and different meanings, but it's also just like reacting to the misogyny and trans misogyny of like, you know, men can talk about fucking all this crazy shit, especially in the rap world, which is partially why I decided to like start rapping is like, I want to infuse this with like some other types of like energy because it's like super misogynistic and transphobic and homophobic, like historically speaking in like a lot of ways that people like never really questioned or like had an issue with. And it's, I think that that's like, you know, sussing itself out over time. But I think just, um, having an empowered sense of sexuality is like, I have to say it. I have to say, I have to talk about being a chick with a dick because I'm really fucking proud of it. And I think it's beautiful. 
and I'm not a fetish. It's not yes. like I'm not going to be quiet about it. And I respect very much the trans women that don't want to talk about it. Yes. You know, I'm doing this in a lot of ways for the, the ones that like can't or won't or like aren't open in that way. And, and that, that is most cis, cis normative trans women, Yeah, you know, but I think that like, you know, in the past, a lot of women have had like uh, a lot of surgeries they may not have ha- wanted to do because there was a lot of pressure to like disassociate from that part of our body. And, and a lot of, a lot of trans women still, you know, there's just a lot of nuance to all these things. And we have all of our own respective, like, you know, paths in this, but I think, you know, it's fucking cool being a chick with a dick. Like I wouldn't, it's like fucking awesome. And I think just saying it like that is more relatable to people that like think that we're just so, you know, hard to understand and- And persnickety uh, and like freaked out all the time about our bodies. Yeah. When you're just like, I actually love my body. Baseline. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a difference. Like I'll correct someone if like, like, I don't know, someone misgenders or something which rarely happens, but like, uh, I'm very quick to like educate in a way that I try to be like as uplifting and just like, oh yeah, you know, it's really, I don't get it either. Like I'm a boomer, <laughs> like I'm just an old fucking tranny, like trying to figure shit out. Like that is disarming, maybe not to my own community, but like to people that like might just think humor is really important and not taking oneself too seriously. But like, you know, just respect fucking, you know, whatever. I feel like I definitely don't speak for the community when I talk about things like that. And I, and I don't know how that lands, but um, with everyone, but someone's got to do it and I'll be that bitch. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be the other bitch on the other side being like, I'm a man with a pussy and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wouldn't have it I mean, any other way. Human as a species, whether we like it or not. And you know, the non-binary conversation is a very, very big thing. Um, I think that confuses a lot of people. And um, it's, it's, I think it's really, I think it's all of it is very indicative of our evolution spiritually. And it goes back to how I view myself and my own evolution. But I, you know, you want to talk about like God in any like respect, you can't gender that. Yes. How could you? Like yes. how, you know, how egotistical do you have to be to think that God like is a man or white or like whatever the fuck, like that stuff does not exist on the higher plane. And I think that, you know, the, the, the Caucasian race probably won't even exist 20 years from now. Like we are all becoming like every kind of like yes. cultural yes. Mother that like I'm, I'm, I love being mixed race. I love being trans. I love having this experience you know, my mom's side of the family, interestingly enough, were religious exiles. Mm-hmm. And my dad's side of the family were political exiles. Wow. And uh, that is no, like, it makes sense why I am the way that I am. Yes. And um, it's just so fucking hilarious to me that, like, all these fucking conservatives are like, freedom! But, like, the, the taking away other people's freedoms yep. is not freedom. Yep. It's like, mind your own fucking business. Like, I'm not going to tell them what to do. Like, if you, like, I don't care. Like, you know, you can't force change on anyone. Like, Catholic school, did we change? No, nope. we can't force our, we don't have an agenda except to be respected. But we can't force that on anyone. All we can do is show people, and that's not everyone's battle, but my battle is partially to show people that, like, I am deserving of respect and love and 
I want to give that back to people. And I think when people feel respected and loved and you can only just do your best to change people's hearts and minds. I know it sounds like cliche and boomer to say, but I don't know. I'm grateful. I'm just really, really grateful to be where I'm at and to like keep going and, and like after so much time, like still be doing this and to be here with you right now. And the work that you're doing is amazing. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you, like we're still working on visibility for trans masculine people and trans men. And like, that must've been especially hard for you. Like there was not that right oh, yeah. really ever, you know ever. what I mean? And here we are, like we're building this world and we're creating it. And I just, you know, Flawless Sabrina is with, always with me. Look her up kids, like. Flawless Sabrina. Yeah, I don't know. I really like to bring people together. I know it sounds fucking gay, but it's true. I really don't, I don't like divisiveness, you know? I could be like edgy about things, but I, in the sense of, provoke thought but I truly think that most people have more in common and more to like get along about than not yeah it's just the gaslighting of the powers that be that forces people to think they need to like divide and this is what I love about you were sharing with me at dinner the other night about how tour like the audience at tour you were like yeah you were telling me about all the audience members and it literally sounded like a cornucopia of identities and people yeah do you want to speak totally. a little bit more to that like just like the different kinds of people that were all in the rooms as you were going across the united cool. states yeah totally so like i mean i've always had a unique audience in the sense that like I think people would assume that I have like just a pretty much like LGBT audience because I'm trans, but it's actually not the case. Like I definitely do have that component, but I have a lot of like cishet rock and roll people and like metalheads and punks and like bikers and like everything like before this tour was very much like two thirds male, presumably straight. And in the like 30, mid twenties to mid 30 demographic. And I always thought that was really interesting. Like, that's cool. I like that I, can attract people to what I'm doing that don't necessarily like, aren't necessarily like part of the LGBT world. It just, I wanna be more palatable to a broad audience. That being said, Poppy's audience was not the same, but similar in the sense that like, she had a lot of metalheads and like older people and bikers and like, like all sorts of different people from all different age groups. And that was the thing that I thought was something especially interesting about her crowd was the age range. Wow. And for me, the opportunity was so great and being able, being able to connect with really like much younger kids than I, um, playing in like the club world and all that stuff for as long as I have, you know, it's always been like 21 and up stuff for the most part. Right. And um, being able to connect with younger kids was I was such a great opportunity um and like I love Gen Z they're fucking chaotic and crazy and like I relate more to Gen Z and Gen X than I kind of do with my own general like it is what it is but yeah. like it's cool and like I don't know I always kind of joke that like I invented non-binary because I like, kind of did um like <laughs> yeah. I was doing that like anytime I stop doing something it like becomes culturally significant so like when I transitioned out of that all this new culture and for good 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 that needed to happen i'm being yes. like obviously sarcastic but like kind of not that was like huge i just saw in a weird way like myself in so many of these kids of like wow there's like a culture for this that's being nurtured now and yes. but it's in the same breath in the midwest i can't imagine that there's much of any support for a lot of these kids and poppy's audience is like i i really like deeply like feel 
um, a purpose being in front of um, these types of people that don't belong anywhere else. I was one of those kids, you know, and all of these kids are so diverse, but I can tell like a lot of them, like don't, they're not part of any scene. Like they don't feel seen. They don't feel like, you know, they're, they're going against the grain and they're, they're expressing themselves. And um, while there is like culturally more support, but also a lot more pushback now, um, that was really cool to just see the diversity of our crowds. And there was definitely a lot of overlap and um, uh, lots of really young occult like oriented kids too. Like, I don't know how much of that is like fashion or whatever, but great. That's part of it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like, yep. uh, it was really cool to see that there was just like, I feel like the alternative contingent of the youth today, the youth today sounds old, is so much bigger than it was when I was growing up. Like mm. we were such a niche and so compartmentalized it's like you're either like a goth or a skinhead or a you know street punk or a db kid it's like i always thought you know okay great but i feel like there's a much more melting pot the kids are just literally like chaos magic in their style and culture and like i mean neon it's like cool to be a witch now do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i remember even when i was young it wasn't cool to be a witch or to be a cult or to be a goth it was not cool you were seen as like an i mean at my school you were like an anime weirdo you got plugged into like weirdo territory where people were like you're a pariah so now it's like i feel like partially the internet is just a queering mechanism in and of itself but it's also like cool to be magical it's cool to be into magic it's cool to be a witch it's cool to be into astrology all these things that Mm. i was doing for you know almost two decades now are cool like you said, it's like you did the thing and now everyone's doing the thing and you're like, okay, great. <laughs> awesome. I mean, all that stuff is inherently anti-authoritarian and anarchistic and, and it's a it's a threat to the status quo, you know? And that's like why it scares people, you know, because we're not playing by the rules of the oppressor in that yes. like framework, you know? Um, and like, not that, I mean, spirituality and the cult is like by no means a safe space, but yeah. that's also the beauty of it, you know? Yeah. It's like, there's like a lot of people that want and have appropriated like the dark arts for general terms for like um, for less than you know admirable purposes yes. uh, I'll say to the at, at the very least um, but that's that's part of it you know um, knowing that like magic and spirituality really uh, but magic black magic the occult all this stuff is like akin to fire you know fire will keep you alive or it will destroy you and it's an immoral force you know and i think um what we tap into is like in you know uh i think there's like there's definitely a self-responsibility that comes along with all that stuff and uh, but generally i think people seek that stuff out to heal from trauma and heal um, yes. from oppressive institutions that don't understand that they're they're just creating more of us by telling us that we're fucking the antichrist i just embraced it at one point i was like all right cool sounds pretty cool to be the antichrist like that's you know i've you know my pronouns are she slash heretic you know that's she slash heretic i mean to that point i just want to say like growing up in salt lake city utah and i know that you just played in salt lake and yeah. i i'm sure those kids were like on fire they were so excited to see they were you. giving some of the fucking best looks and just they were like i was really happy to be like of service to those kids yeah. honestly 
And to speak to that, like I, I was one of those kids to know that you were touring in Salt Lake. I remember seeing that on your Instagram story and like a part of my little heart broke in a good way. Like my heart broke. Cause I was like in, in like in pleasurable pain because I was like, thank God, I wish I'd had you at that time. And I'm so oh. glad that kids do have you now in Salt Lake and to speak to that, Salt Lake is such an oppressed city because of the LDS church. And yet it has created, it created SLC punk. It created mm -hmm. SLC punk. It created an extremely vibrant punk scene. You know, most of the people in, in Salt Lake city that are millennials and younger are tattooed as a form of saying, I am not LDS. I mean, it's amazing. Pressure creates the thing that it's trying to destroy, you know? <laughs> totally. And oh. I think that's, there's, there's sort of a, a beauty to that. And it's, I, yeah, I mean, in a world like ours, you know, I always try to focus on all the things that like we've, all the progress we've made. And, and I think that like, you know, there's always a light, there's always a light in the darkness and like yes. as wild and crazy and chaotic as things like are, it's really hopeful for me because that really, to me, I interpret that immediately as being like, there is a lot of change brewing. Yes. And like the more that people try to oppress other people, the more we revolt and create new culture. And like the oppressive institutions are in their death throes. It's yes. clearly obvious. Yes. All the stunts that they're pulling are like last leg type of shit. So it, I think it serves us all collectively to not come and feed into a fear-based mentality, looking at stuff like that and just saying, what can I bring? in my individuality to like bring something to this, you know, we can't all be held to the standard of like doing every kind of thing for every kind of cause and every, do I, I always personally think like do the best you can in your life and just being a visible, you know, um, successful in whatever way that means to you in your, in like whatever you do, especially as an artist, especially as a trans artist, like our visibility collectively is so much more powerful than vibrational negativity and, and divisiveness and I think like feeding into the fear I know this sounds really new agey and like love and light but like feeding into the fear of all this shit is like just working for their agenda you know yes. agreed I think it's all about alchemizing chaos and for me that comes naturally so I I think it's no it's no coincidence why I feel like I'm I'm coming into my own in such a bigger new way in a time where I feel like I'm, I'm needed and we're all needed. Yes. And I just yes. want to give that support all around, Yes, you know, yeah. and connect, you know. I'm you, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. You said them even better than I could. I feel this. I feel you. I just feel you there. Like wanting, wanting to connect, wanting to continue to make art and loving, you know, I, I drive around LA as I often do. Cause we're stuck in traffic and I, I'm often singing, like I'm literally singing out loud. Like I sing all sorts of songs, but one that's I'm singing right now that's so cliche is I'm singing Ziggy Marley's love is my religion. And I will just sit in my car and I'll say the lyric over and over again because I'm like, the, it, yes, it is love and light. It is new agey. And also like, I'm super stoked to be alive. And I know that you're stoked to be alive making the work that we are making. In my previous episode with Edgar Fabian Frias, we mentioned like artists are able to kind of see around the corner into the future a little bit. Like part mm. of our magic is being able to kind of peek around the corner. And that's a Zachary Druckerism for everybody that may also be a flawlessism, but- yeah genius but it's like that's part of it is that we're you're you're like yeah we're in the they're in the death throes the institutions are in their death throes of course because we're starting to see around the corner we're starting to see that there is a world where like 
even the identities around race are going to be obsolete. Identities around gender will be obsolete. They'll be different. They'll be new. They'll be expanded. So it, this is just an exciting time to be alive. And I, I love that you said alchemizing chaos because there is so much chaos right now. And I, I see you. I see that you're like ready to alchemize it. And I feel the same way. And I want the audience to feel like there is some area of their life that they can be alchemizing chaos as well. And it takes creativity yeah. and it takes love. Yeah. And empathy, again, cliche, but it's true. And I, and I think it's so important for our community to not get sucked into like divisive shit around like, I don't know, semantics or like online sort of politics that like we are all in this like learning thing together. And, um, you know, just like being supportive, like at the end of the day, like, I don't like the idea of picking sides, but like if someone's like generally on your side, like they're not the enemy. I'm not the enemy of anyone. You know, if someone's offended by something I say, like, I don't know, I feel like I should probably do stand up comedy someday because I feel like that's like where like my fucking, I just like, like, I, I don't, I, I, I think there's like a lot more important things that we should be like, going after and um I'll say some shit I'll say I'll be the bitch to say the thing that someone else might be afraid yeah. to say as people tell me that's maybe easier for them to say it so fuck it I think we're all like in this together and um I'm just super happy to be um in a really amazing community here in LA and to have you as a friend and to be here right now thank you for platforming me I'm yes <laughs> speaking of your own language being music you have a standalone single coming out on June 22nd called One of One. Yeah, yes. I do. And it has a music video attached, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that before we wrap up the episode? I just wanted to kind of plug that, that you have a new single coming out. That's huge. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, June 22nd, One of One. Um, it's a brand new song, um, although I've been tinkering with it for, for, for several months. Um, and I played it on tour in a different sort of version. And um, I've been very, very, very fortunate um, as of the new year to start working with Linda Perry. And um, she's really helped develop me as an artist in ways that I'm sure, like, you know, you can only imagine. Like, so she's um, um, helping me just like hone my craft. And this is our second single working together. Um, and I'm actually just finishing up editing the video today. And one of one is produced by an amazing producer named David Sisko. Um, a lot of my earlier stuff was self-produced and I'm really enjoying the process of collaborating. And um, I wanna continue to do that all the more. And one of one is, I don't know, just being a, it's just, I mean, a lot of my stuff is just about being the bitch that I am. Um, this one, I think, is decidedly a little bit more accessible. There's like only three cuss words on this one. We even have a censored version coming out. So look out. Ooh, she's got a clean um, version. All right. But yeah, I don't know. It's really about just fucking being the like living embodiment of the Baphomet, basically. Yes, I don't know, I don't know yes. what it, it's. I don't know what it is to other people. And I hope that it has uh, lots of meanings for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah, it's it's multivalent and it and it lives beyond you. Like I said, sound talismans. Songs are sound talismans. Amazing. So six uh, on six twenty two. So June twenty second, and it's like all all audio platforms: Spotify, Apple mm -hmm. Music. Okay, amazing, amazing. Yeah. And they can find you on at Ms Neon, right? M Z and then Neon. 
Yeah, I'm on Inst- Instagram's probably my main platform. It's Ms. Neon, M Z underscore N E O N. I get shadow banned every once in a while. So that <laughs> underscore, you can't find me, throw that underscore in there. Otherwise, M Z N E O N will usually bring me up. I will link all of the, I'll link your SoundCloud and all that stuff or all the music stuff so people can find you really accessibly. Yeah, everyone should take, I'm just going to shout out to the audience right now. Everyone should take a listen to Pussy Stick, my favorite song of Miss Neons. Although I'm sure there's going to be new ones, new songs that will uh, take that, sh- shift that order. But currently that's, that's my, that's my fave. <laughs> Thank you. That was definitely the catalyst for me. Um, finding my voice in this way that I have like now, like lyrically. Amazing. Yeah. I remember listening to it in 2019 pre pandemic in a car with Zachary. And I was like, I don't think I'd met you yet or I had just met you. And I was like, who is this? Who is this? So like, I'm honored to be here now. Fast forward. Everyone go take a listen to Pussy Stick. Thank you, Neon, for being on the show with me. Is there any last thing you want to say? Shout out or? My heart is full and I'm happy that we did this. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you, Neon. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the world of Rex. Thank you for hearing out Neon and all her magical spells that she has cast on this podcast. You will catch us next week with another guest. Until then, take care. 